0: Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere, it is in the center of everywhere.
1: Welcome to season four of the Center of Everywhere podcast. This is episode one of the new season. I'm Marnie Warner, and I'm the vice president of research at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. And we are a private nonpartisan nonprofit organization based in rural Minnesota, where we are dedicated to providing data-driven research on rural issues to help our policymakers make more informed decisions affecting the rural people and places of our state. Today, I'm with my colleague, senior researcher, Kelly Ash, and we're here talking about your latest research, Education and Employment Patterns of Southwest Minnesota Students After They Leave High School. This was a really big project in that it took a long time, but it involved a huge amount of data. Why don't you start at the beginning and tell us about it?
0: Yeah, sure. So... We were approached by the Office of Higher Education in Minnesota to kind of take a look at what students were doing after they graduated high school, and in particular in southwest Minnesota, because they've been getting a lot of requests for this. Uh, and that region in particular has been doing a lot of investment in career and technical education courses and really investing in programs to try and keep more of their high school graduates in the region uh, for work. So we really view this as an extension of our own research looking into the number of job vacancies across rural Minnesota. And we've always seen Southwest being incredibly high. You know, every region's at historically high levels of job vacancies in their region. And in Southwest, they've been investing in programs to try and keep more of their high school students in the place, trying to educate their high school students on the uh, career opportunities available to them in the region. And they feel that pressure from surrounding regions of Minnesota, but also from North Dakota and South Dakota, who are, you know, putting in some pretty, Uh, heavy investments into marketing towards Minnesota residents to come and go to college there and work there. And so it's kind of just a perfect storm and situation. That's why we were approached to kind of take a look at, all right, currently, what are those patterns of those students that graduate? Uh, What are they doing after high school? And then trying to link up if there were any educational experiences that they were uh, having in high school that might make it more likely that they would either stay in Southwest Minnesota to work or maybe go away and come back into Southwest Minnesota uh, to work. And so that's really what this project was about was, you know, identifying what the patterns are and then trying to identify just a few variables in what might make a difference in keeping more of their students uh, in the region to work.
1: Sure. And so you found patterns, right? What did you, first of all, there was something there were programs that were going on while they were in high school that seemed to affect what they did after high school. Tell us a little about that.
0: Yeah, what we tended to see is that any programs where a high school student was engaged with more local narratives around the opportunities Available to them career wise and job wise and even college wise uh, in the region, they were significantly more likely to then either stay in that region after graduating high school or go to college there. Um, those all just seem to make a big difference. Again, you know, if you were to look at our education system, you know, over the past three, four or five decades, it's really been built around this idea of trying to uh, provide students the best opportunities available to them. And so traditionally that maybe had meant they had to leave their small town or rural area to go to places where the colleges were located or where more job opportunities were located. And even if you graduated college, it might've been that you needed to live somewhere more urban to fully utilize your college degree. And now with the job market, the way it is, everything is just turned upside down. And the job opportunities in our rural regions in Southwest Minnesota are across the board. Um, It doesn't matter. Like, four-year graduate student, no college education, two-year college, they need it all. Um, And there's absolutely no doubt about that. And so we're kind of trying to figure out how educational structures are formatted that they really are promoting locally what's available to them. Because again, education institutions are pretty used to trying to ship their students off (laughs) to find bigger, better opportunities. Um, And so again, like programs that tried to Kind of overcome that narrative, really trying to push the point of opportunities available to them locally. It, it made a big difference, and we saw it in the data. Statistically, it was significant.
1: So, what were some of these programs? And tell it was the career and technical education programs, right? Yeah, you, you know, I kept those.
0: saying, you know, in the uh, previously, I would always say like these local programs that promote local engagement, and we kind of use career and technical education as a proxy. Um, because we don't we don't have records on every kind of program that's going on in these high schools or what everybody's being engaged in because they're all across the board but career and technical education is distinctly built to educate students on local workforce needs right um, either to teach them exactly uh, what's available to them or to teach them in an actual skill uh, with a curriculum dedicated towards a certain occupation. Uh, and so we see that as a proxy for, you know, programs that educate locally, that 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 makes a difference. And uh, without the numbers on the top of my head here, I know it was statistically significant where, you know, if somebody were to take CTE courses or to have uh, what was it called career, uh, there's these career clusters that you can graduate with uh, in, mm-hmm. in technical education coursework. And if the students graduated with one of these CTE specializations, um, I believe it was between 35 and 40 percent of those students would have meaningful workforce participation in the southwest region five to 10 years after graduating high school. Compared to somebody that didn't take any CTE, it was only like 15 percent. Right. So you're talking a 20 to 25 percent uh, percentage point difference. That's really huge for a region.
1: Yeah, because the CTE courses, their their focus really is to. In, in the process of teaching the students these skills, they connect with the local employers, right? And and those employers have input into the programs and the students get to meet them and they really find out what's going on, right?
0: Correct, because correct, we've yeah, found,
1: yeah. Yeah, we, we found in past research that a lot of students just aren't aware of the jobs that are in their own communities, right?
0: They're really not. And if anything, you know, that narrative that, There are no jobs in rural regions or they're just low skill, low paying jobs available. That narrative is really strong. And I feel like there's many of us trying to beat that narrative down. Um, And it's going to take the whole community. It's going to take the entire economic development um, uh, organizations to really just just really beat home this uh, this uh, this new idea that, you know, There's tons of jobs and careers and opportunities. You don't have to go anywhere. And that's not to say we shouldn't encourage students to travel and do their thing. That's absolutely okay. But it shouldn't be based on this idea that the only way to have a good career or a good job or good wages is you have to leave. That's kind of what we're trying to get rid of. And these programs are doing a really good job at that because that narrative is still pretty strong in our rural regions. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And so... Did that have anything to do with starting with Southwest Minnesota or or what was the reasoning behind that?
0: You know, I don't know if there's uh, any one reason. I think every region probably wants this kind of analysis done. The Office of Higher Education, in particular, was getting a lot of requests for this type of information and analysis to be done, and those requests were largely coming from Southwest. And it's been because they want to see is there a return on investment with these investments they're making in career and technical education and more local and more programming to educate students because they're 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 investing heavily in those types of programs, as well as they feel this competition and and loss of their students to neighboring states, particularly South Dakota. Uh, And that's really been bothering them. Uh, It's been a full court press from South Dakota in terms of marketing their state to students and even young adults in Southern Minnesota come and move there and work there. They developed a new program called Build Dakota, which pays uh, for students tuition and books if they go to a two-year college and then end up working in South Dakota for three years um, and so as Southwest high school students are learning about maybe trades they might get excited about it and then all of a sudden they can look at South Dakota and be like well I can I can go into be an electrician and I can go get to my tuition paid for if I just go live in South Dakota for a few years I'm going to do that right so There's this kind of tension right now in Southwest Minnesota of we need to figure this out. And Minnesota starts needing to be more competitive. So I think starting in that region is largely based on this sense of urgency that they're feeling. And I think that urgency is probably more uh, extreme in Southwest than it is in other regions of the state. Mm
1: -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And so... Let's talk a little bit more about the data. Now, when you go to our website at ruralmn.org and look at the report, um, you'll see a pretty snappy looking chart there. I, I really like, like that chart. And it shows the where students go for 10 years after high school. And you put this chart together. Why don't you tell us a little about that chart and what it means and what you found.
0: Yeah, it was actually probably the the first step, and that gets back to identifying what are the patterns of these high school graduates in Southwest Minnesota. You know, what are their employment and education patterns? Um, and so we actually categorized every student. So this goes back to 2008 to 2019. So every student in Southwest Minnesota high school that's graduated in those years, I had their uh, this these kind of variables for each individual. And I was able to classify or categorize each one of them for each year after high school that they after high school graduation. So, one year after high school graduation, were they going to college? Were they did they have meaningful workforce participation in Southwest? And by meaningful, we mean 1,000 hours worked for an employer in a calendar year. Not to say that all kinds of other types of work aren't meaningful, but we had to draw the line somewhere. So, we call it meaningful workforce participation. Or did they have meaningful workforce participation in Minnesota, but not in Southwest? Or did they have mean? Uh, or did they have no Minnesota employment record? Meaning, <clears throat> we don't know where they went. They're not going to college, uh, so I couldn't track them where they went to post secondary, and I couldn't track their employment out of the state of Minnesota because we don't have those types of connections with South Dakota, North Dakota, and Iowa and and, and their kind of department, of employment, economic development uh, agencies. So. So we had these like categorize, these these categories and we just kind of tracked it through for every year after high school graduation. What were the patterns? And as you would expect, you know, if, if we were to take every student one year after graduating high school, a large majority it was 60 some percent were going to college. Um, that's not to be unexpected, right? So 40% don't go to college. And then as the years after high school go on, you see that percentage decline. And what you tend to see is when everything stabilizes and there's very few students going to college anymore, what you tend to see is about 25% have meaningful workforce participation in Southwest. Another 25% have meaningful workforce participation in Minnesota, but not Southwest. And then you have about 15% that just don't have meaningful workforce participation. They didn't fall under what our threshold of a thousand hours in a calendar year meant. It means they may be working part-time or they may be working a couple different jobs. Again, it's meaningful, but it, well, it didn't really fall into what we were looking for in our analysis. Now it's about 15%. So that leaves us with about 35-some percent where they didn't have a Minnesota employment record. They weren't going to college. They weren't employed in Minnesota. And so they were just kind of, uh, uh, we had to kind of figure that out. And well, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, in a bit here. But what these trends kind of tell us is, you know, the big kind of takeaway is that Southwest Minnesota keeps about, gets about 25% of our high school graduates to actually stay in the region uh, five or 10 years after graduating high school and have meaningful workforce participation. Um, so about a quarter. And that's, you know, depending on how you look at, that's not great. Uh, and that's not what you want to see, particularly when you have so many job vacancies.
1: And so you could look at that though, and say, why are those people, why are those you know former students staying or coming back? And did you have any indication of what that was? Did where they went to college or where they went to work or whatever give some indication of of why they were sticking around or coming back?
0: Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about the high school prospects. So if they were taking involved in programming um, that was telling them uh, about local opportunities, that played a pretty big role. Uh, But then after graduating high school, if they were to go to a two-year college or a four-year college located in Southwest, that was a really good indicator. They almost had about 50% of the graduates that went to a local college in Southwest ended up having workforce meaningful workforce participation in the region which is great I mean you get close to 50 percent you're doing pretty darn good um, and then two-year colleges in general no matter where uh, across the state that was actually uh, more likely to have uh, meaningful workforce participation in Southwest after they graduated so those were some of the big ones um you know and then some of the ones that would you know there's these push and pull factors so those were kind of the pull factors but then you have these push factors. And the push factors were students where, kind of of getting back to that traditional education format, um, students that you could easily tell in high school were preparing for college. So they did really well on their MCAs. They did really well on their ACTs. They were taking college prep courses. They were taking uh, PSEO, post-secondary educational opportunities, right? Uh, They were more likely to leave the region for college as well as not very unlikely to come back. Um, as well as students that um, uh, attended college outside of the region, four-year colleges in particular, um, more likely to not come back. And then students that uh, went to college in border states, really, really poor uh, percentage of students that would come back and have meaningful workforce participation uh, after graduating. Again, that kind of you know, up to 10 years after graduating high school. We don't know after that. Maybe they did come back, you know, when they turned 30, 31, you know, there is a, a good evidence that does happen at a higher percentage. But when they're in their 20s, it, it was pretty, pretty small.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this no Minnesota employment record group. Now, there was that, that could be several different reasons that people would fall into that group, Right.
0: Yeah. So you got to think about it in a couple of different ways. The first way is they still could be located in the Southwest region, but they may not be participating in the labor force. Um, which you tend to see, you know, obviously, um, uh, if you're, you have a spouse and you as a family decide to stay at home and take care of the kids, that's one also culturally, you'll see that quite a bit. And there's a lot more immigrant and refugee populations in Southwest region. And so depending on the culture and how much they value college education or their opportunities or, you know, how big the barriers are to go to college or get employment, that can be a, a big piece too, um. They could be employed federally. And I know that's crazy, but we actually were not able to uh, track if an individual got employed by a federal agency. So think of post office workers. Um, And then the last one, if they they could be living in Southwest and be in the military full-time. So so that's kind of like one group. The second group is they're employed, but they're just not employed in Minnesota. (laughs) So, and I think that's the group that, the Southwest region, a lot of leaders there are really interested in knowing more about and like, what does that number look like? What's the percentage? You know, how many are we losing to our border space? So we actually did do just a kind of I call it back of the envelope rough calculation. And what we ended up doing is you can kind of estimate essentially how many are not participating in the labor force because we actually have the labor force percentage participation rate or labor force participation percentage rates for the Southwest region. And so I can actually calculate that. And I just take one minus whatever the participation rate is, that gives me the non-participation rate. And I can kind of average that out through the years of these high school graduates to kind of figure out, get an estimate. So if I were to look at all the graduates that graduated from a high school, uh, in Southwest Minnesota and they're five years after graduating high school and they don't have uh, they have no Minnesota employment record. That's about five thousand thousand individuals that don't have a Minnesota employment record, five years after graduating high school. So I then just kind of calculated the percentage of not in the labor force. What's the percentage rate of them being in the military, federal employment, and as well as self-employed? That's another big one I didn't mention. And I was able to kind of come up with a, it's about a thousand people that would probably fall into those categories of these 5,000 individuals. So that means about 4,000 of them are likely employed in a different state. Um, and that's a lot. <laughs> we don't know if it's what we would say, quote unquote, meaningful workforce participation, obviously. Um, uh, but again, 4,000, um, five years after graduating high school, that's a lot. I think that's pretty significant. They're not going to college, they're living somewhere. Um, it's likely not in Minnesota and it's likely they're working somewhere else. That's, that's a little bit tough. And, and uh, it's something I think we need to start taking seriously as a state, particularly when it comes to policies and, and, you know, how are we putting ourselves out there in terms of being a great state, great region to live in and raise a family in and to have jobs.
1: Yeah, because you know, like you've talked about on here before, we're not just competing with each other within this state for employees anymore. And, you know, 10 years ago, we were we were competing for jobs. Now we're competing for employees. And it's not just, you know, Worthington competing with St. Cloud or something like that. Now it's competing with South Dakota and North Dakota and Nebraska and California and every place, right? Yep.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. And one way I like to put it is we can compete against each other as a state. Fine. But you know what? Southwest gave the rest of Minnesota 25 percent of their high school graduates. So that's their skin in the game. So now as a state, how are we supporting Southwest to keep their students from leaving the state? Right. So Mm -hmm. I kind of see it as like a we're all doing our part. We're all going to shuffle around the, the 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 decks, right? And you're all going to kind of be like, we graduated a bunch of high schools and some of them are going to go off someplace else in Minnesota. We have to be okay with that. What we can't be okay with perhaps is them leaving to another state and not to be competitive, but again, we're the ones paying for these high school graduates. Our taxes are paying for it. Our property taxes are paying for it. Um, how about then we do an extra investment to make sure they don't leave the state and they continue to, uh, our investment gets reinvested through their property taxes and, and employment taxes into the state. So,
1: yeah, that's, that's 4,000 students that aren't working in Minnesota that could have been, and, you know, in the way things are these days with the, the worker shortage, that, that's a, not an insignificant number.
0: No, it's not at all. No, particularly for Southwest. Um man, that that's a that's a godsend. Uh that's a huge number. You know, it's always those things in rural areas. That's, Small numbers mean big percentages. That's a whole
1: town. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's that's exactly. a whole town
1: in rural areas.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So so what's the big takeaway? What do you want people to understand and learn from this report?
0: The big takeaway is that education probably needs a little bit of a shift in terms of how we're approaching educating our students on their opportunities available to them locally like it should be a pretty big uh, reason why school districts exist is to educate our young people but also letting them know about what's happening locally and regionally Uh, that they can contribute to and be a part of, that we want them here, that they're important for our future. Are we telling them these things as an education uh, institutions? And so it's going to take a lot of work uh, among our K through 12 education districts, working a lot more with our local colleges uh, and post-secondary education, as well as employers getting involved in the high schools and, and telling students like, hey, we would love to have you look at these wages. They're great. You know, our wages have been going up like crazy. So I think that's one big takeaway is that we can't depend on K through 12 figuring this out on their own, that we're all going to have to be kind of pushing this forward and and making these changes happen. So that's the first one. I think the second thing that's important is that the state as policymakers really recognize that this is going to require some investments. Uh, And I'm not sure where those investments come from or if we shift it away from other things that we've been doing um, but helping high schools or K-12 districts really figure out how to, how to give them the resources and the technical assistance to set up more CTE programs or more other types of those programs that do that kind of local awareness on career opportunities, I think that's just going to require some state support because a lot of our rural school districts are already running pretty thin and just trying to supply the programming that they're required to by the Department of Education here in Minnesota. Um, And so those are the two big things. And then the last thing I guess I'll mention is the North Star promise that was passed over this last legislative session. I think a lot of folks are excited that that was a a really good step in the right direction in terms of, you know, okay, if we're being, if there's competition in South, South Dakota and North Dakota and they're putting up these programs, that are waiving tuition for our students, waiving their tuition for our students to go there. We have to do the same here. And so at least we're now on the same competitive um, foundation. So essentially those students that are going to South Dakota uh, for college, maybe they'll be enticed to actually go to a Minnesota college or university because we can now waive some of that tuition and books. And so it makes it uh, a lot more promising in that aspect. A couple of things, I guess we would, recommend and we put it in our report is there could be a few minor tweaks the first one being that there maybe should be a work requirement that if we're going to pay for your tuition and and fees uh, to go to college here you also have to work here for a certain amount of years anywhere in Minnesota I don't care where it is but at least you have to stay here after you graduate college Um, South Dakota does that and I think that's pretty powerful and I think it's important um, so that would be probably one of the bigger ones, uh, as well as maybe, you know, we have to do some waiving of tuition and fees for border state students that are interested in coming to Minnesota because South Dakota's playing that game. Um, uh, maybe we need to start playing that game too and be like, you know what? you you're from South Dakota, you're thinking about coming to Minnesota? we'll we'll help you get here. Um, because again, this is a competition for all people, not just our own people in and Min- just not Minnesotans, but mm-hmm. any people that we can get. That's just how competitive it is right now. So those are some of the big things um, uh, you know that that biggest takeaway is like this is about people. this is no longer about jobs. And so the policies and programming and economic development are continuing to change and shift and we need to get comfortable with this and, and really rethink some of these things.
1: right. Yeah, and so now this report was just one region of the state, southwest Minnesota. What's the future? Are you looking at more regions?
0: Yeah, we would love to. And we've been getting some requests uh, from other regions to do this analysis for them as well. And so I guess stay tuned. Um, We will be uh, diving into other regions and doing this analysis, and it'll be really fun to kind of see are, you know, what are some of the differences? Are there any differences? Or is it kind of like, yeah, well, programming that really introduces students to local opportunities really is the the key for all regions? We'll find out. I think it'll also be interesting to see if some of those patterns of, you know, five years after graduating high school, what's the percentage of those students that have meaningful workforce participation in a region? Uh, maybe those some of those patterns are very different across the state. It's going to be really fun to see that. So stay tuned. I think we'll probably be talking about that more in the next six months or so.
1: So, thanks for joining us. My guest today again was uh, Kelly Ash. He's our senior researcher who just completed a, a major report on student migration in and out of southwest Minnesota. And stay tuned for our next episode, and we'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere.